This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Abishai Artsy. Leroy Moore is a writer, poet, community activist, and a hip-hop and music lover. He was born with cerebral palsy and has dedicated much of his writing and activism to disability rights. He co-founded Crip Hop Nation, a movement that uses hip-hop as a means of expression for people with disabilities. Moore is currently a doctoral student in linguistic anthropology at UCLA. He writes and delivers lectures and performances that reflect the intersections between racism and ableism in the United States and abroad. His most recent book, Black Disabled Ancestors, came out in 2020. He also chairs the Black Disability Studies Committee for the National Black Disability Coalition, and he co-founded the performance art collective Sins Invalid. Moore will also join the UCLA Arts Public Discussion Series 10 Questions on Monday, October 18th to discuss the question, how do we remember? Leroy Moore, thank you for joining us on Works in Progress. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Awesome. Uh, So when you were growing up as a Black disabled youth in the 1970s and 1980s, what was missing for you that made you want to start Crip Hop Nation? Yeah, what was missing is a mirror of me in in society and music. Um, I got that mirror when I was looking through my father's record collection. I saw a lot of disabled blues artists and Robert Winters who had polio and on crutches and Walter Jackson, same thing on crutches. So. I found it there, but um, it wasn't anywhere else. So it, it makes sense that now I'm doing clip hop, you know, it comes almost like full circle, you know. But I, I didn't I, I didn't plan that, it just it just happened. Right. Yeah, there's a long history of um of black musicians with disabilities, like blind Willie McTell, people, yeah. people like that. And then I understand you watched a, a video of Porgy and Bess when you were younger, and that inspired you too. Yeah, I was. I screamed to my mom. I was like, "Mom, mom, I'm on TV!" Because I thought I thought that was me. <laughs> you know, that's the first time I saw a black disabled man on TV. So my mom came in and my mom was like, oh, no, that's Porgy. I was like, I'm Porgy, mom? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the first time I saw a black disabled man on TV. As a child in New York, uh, were you discriminated against? I mean, were you picked on because of your cerebral palsy? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It goes with the territory. But also, um, in New York at the time, I... Found hip hop on the corner because you know hip hop was on the corner. It wasn't on MTV at first, so you know when I found that, and you know the young youth at the time <laughs> thought that hey, you know you you can be our eyes for the cops because the cops won't mess with you because you had a disability. So I, I used to look out for the cops, you know, in those ciphers. And my job was to warn the people when the cops were coming. Wow. So you were the lookout then? Yeah, yeah I was the lookout. And did you feel included and welcomed by the hip-hop community? 
Oh, no, and yes. Yes, because I was, you know, the lookout guy, but I was also a poet and writer, and, but, you know, they was like, oh, no, you, you can't get in the cipher. You're disabled, you know. So, like, like any other movement, you know, it had ableism in it from the beginning. But, you know, I saw, I saw hip-hop artists on crutches. I saw break dancers on crutches, you know. I saw blind DJs at the time, so. Wow, blind DJs. Um, that's amazing. And so, in, in a way, I guess founding Crip Hop Nation was a way for you to carve out a space for yourself, right? And people who had similar experiences as you had. Well, yeah, you know, it didn't say for myself. I just had questions, you know, where are black disabled performers? You know, I knew that they were in the blues and other spaces. So, you know, I wanted to put that out where are disabled hip hop artists. So when I put that out well, 15 years ago, on my space, because Facebook wasn't around, I got a huge response, you know, internationally, in Germany, Spain, US, UK. So I was like, okay, there's something here. And, you know, me, the late Rob, the noise tempo, and Keith Jones just kept on pushing it. That's great. And then you had MySpace at that time. So that was like the kind of early days of social media, but that allowed you to reach an international audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so your co-founders, you mentioned Rob Denoise Temple and Keith Jones. Are they also black men who are disabled? Yeah, yeah. Why do you think there was such a strong response to Crip Hop Nation when it was founded? Like, what were you providing that people were looking for? Yeah, because we all had the same stories. We all had the same story of being discriminated against in hip hop. We all had the same story that we couldn't get our music played anywhere. You know, same stories of not being seen, not being interviewed. So when Crip Hop came along, you know, that was like, oh, we have a platform now, you know. So I, I think that that's what Crip Hop, you know, tries to provide is a platform into to add on to the works of the ancestors to blues artists that, you know, were disabled back then. You know, we're just adding on to that foundation and making it stronger and, um, you know, making it as an international platform. Well, I love that you're seeing yourself as part of that lineage that's that predates hip hop, you know? Yeah. And in fact, activism is something that runs in your family, right? Uh, and you were following your father's footsteps. What was his form of activism and how did that inspire you? Yeah, he had a loose, a loose connection with the Black Panthers. He used to be in the Rainbow Coalition, although he, he never liked Jesse Jackson. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so he, he was really um, an activist in the Black community, you know, went on to be a social worker, and, and, my, and my mom, I can't forget my mom, my mom, you know, was an advocate for me for around 
Giving me a special education and mainstreaming me, you know, getting the services that I needed. Well, and so given your your dad's involvement with the Black Panthers and the Rainbow Coalition and your mom's, you know, encouragement for you to get um, the kind of education you needed, were they encouraging of your involvement with hip hop and with the disabled community? With the disabled community, I mean, you know, they realized that I like music. You know, before hip hop, I was I was a hardcore rocker. So I like Ozzy Osbourne and ACDC <laughs> and all that stuff. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, they realized that I like music, and they and my mom always put me in spaces where um, I had like disabled role models. Since he got me involved with the uh, United Cerebral Palsy Association, and that's when I got involved with um, disabled sports, and that's why that's I went to the Paralympics back in 1988. Oh, what was your sport? Cycling. So my mom opened up the door, you know. Um, also, at the time, I got involved with the summer camp, you know, people now know Crip Camp, but I I had my, my own version of Crip Camp because um I my mom introduced me to Beverly Jackson. And Beverly Jackson um, is a black disabled woman that was in charge of Camp Harkness. And you know, so as a young Preteen, seeing a black disabled elder doing her stuff, that really motivated me and, you know, gave me a, a role model to say, okay, you know, and she can do it, and, you know, at her age, and I can um, learn from her. Well, that's great that you were able to find those uh, role models and that your mother recognized the need for you to have those kind of role models. Um, now, when you're talking about disability, are you mainly talking about physical disability or mental disability or all of it? All, all of it. You know, juggling crop up is all of it. You know, we have artists that have seizures, you know, we have artists that have autism. We have artists that are blind, you know, and we and we work closely with the fathers of hip hop, and hip hop is deaf hip hop. So we um, support Wawa. I, I call him the father of deaf hip hop in the U.S. Wow, dip hop. Okay, I've never heard of dip hop. So what differentiates deaf hip hop? from other forms of hip-hop? Just to be in depth and using sign language. So are the artists signing? Is that how they're rapping? Or do they just have interpreters on stage? Like, how does that work? No, they're, they're signing. You know, some, some artists can can rap and sign at the same time. Like, show rock. I love show rock. Show rock can rap and sign at the same time. So same thing as Wawa in DC, he raps and signs at the same time. 
That's amazing. Who are some other hip hop musicians with disabilities that we should know about? Oh yeah, so um, my boy Diesel Dating Mad One, aka Keith Jones. Love him, you know. He's a co-founder. He does most of my beats because I do poetry. He just puts the beats to it. The same thing with the late Rob, you know, his tempo. Um, wheelchair sports camp, they kick ass. You know, Kaylin, um, you see he's the front runner of wheelchair sports camp. See, he has a song called It's It's Hard Out Here for a Camp. <laughs> really That's good. Song. Tony Hickman from Houston. See, he kicks ass on um, George Tragic Denim. You know, going international, Binky from Germany. He, he's been down with Kupa since the beginning. Rani Rani from Uganda. So, yeah, I can go on and on. Yeah, no, that's that's quite a list. Do you have like a Spotify playlist or something I should check out? No, I don't. But we we, we are on Kupa that's collaborating with Warner Music Group, which is huge. It just started, so we're going to hopefully do that soon. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah. So you just mentioned artists from Germany and Uganda, and I know that when you founded Crip Hop Nation, it spread all over the world. I mean, you had people in South Africa, New Zealand, and Palestine expressing interest. Do you think that the experiences of racism and ableism are similar throughout the world? Or do you think that there's differences across countries and cultures in how uh, people with disabilities, particularly people of color with disabilities, experience uh, oppression? Yeah, I think I think it's both. I think it's same and different. You know, that's, that's why Kripa blew up so, so quickly because we had almost the same story of discrimination. And of course, you know, discrimination is harder in different countries like Uganda that, that don't have the Americans with disability act. Matter of fact, um, a group that um, I'm a part of and I started called Black Disabled Men Talk and we do a YouTube page. We just did um, a show on, you know, Black Disabled Men in, in the motherland. So we talked to two black disabled men, you know, talking about that. And they, and they it, it's weird because, you know, they talk about their situation and me, Keith, and Latif, and Otis is like, oh my God, it's almost the same here in the U.S. They talk about, you know, having laws on the books, but not having implementation. So you have pieces of paper, but you don't have the implementation to make the laws work. It's like, oh my God, it's almost the same here because we have a lot of laws like the ADA and, you know, 504 and, you know, IDEA, different education, but a lot, a lot of times our laws are not enforced. Right. So even with the ADA and all the other laws that are meant to protect the rights of people with disabilities, 
there is that uh, issue of enforcement, right? Of of whether these laws actually get implemented, and you yeah. know whether there are any teeth to them. Yeah, it's it's weird because um, you, you had um, Biden, you know, that ran for president, and he had a disability platform, which is great because usually politicians don't have a disability platform. But so this year, a lot of presidential you know, three years ago during the presidential elections, a lot of candidates had to sway platform. And George Biden said, oh, we're gonna enforce IDEA, we're gonna fully fund it and fully enforce it. And I was like, wait a minute, you've been in government how long? And you just woke up and you're gonna enforce a law that's been on the books since 70. I three, like you just decided to wake up this year because um, supposedly IDEA, the Individual Disability Act, never been fully funded and never been fully enforced since 1973. Wow. This is the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Yeah. Okay, well, speaking of disabilities and education, um, I'm talking to you today on Friday, October 8th, uh, just an hour before you're going to go speak to a protest on UCLA campus that's being uh, sponsored by the uh, Disabled Student Union. Can you give us a preview of what kinds of things you're going to say and generally what kinds of policy changes are you advocating for as it relates to people with disabilities, especially people of color with disabilities. Yeah, so so I think I think the topic is just like why why um, all of a sudden that um, UCLA is cutting back on online learning. You know, that affects a lot of people with disabilities. So, you know, especially now, because you know this country has no idea of how to deal deal with things on a long-term basis. So this country thinks that COVID is history. It's like, okay, we're done. Let's go back to work. It's like, what? You know? So, so, so that, that's the main focus of the protest is that, you know, once UCLA cuts online learning that's going to affect a lot of people with disabilities you know and for myself being a first year phd student and going into classes but i'm looking around at the whole campus it's like well the whole campus is closed down all these offices like i thought i tried to get my student id last week the office is closed I was like, huh, this is interesting. So the offices are closed, but you want the students to go back to class. Huh. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> that is. What are you getting your PhD in? Linguistic anthropology. What is linguistic anthropology? Well, it just it, just, it deals with language and how people speak and culture and so linguistics is under anthropology. In doing this PhD is not only for me, going back to queer pop, our, our main focus 
is to open up the Crip Hop Institute right here in LA. And that's going to be a huge part of my PhD, is to open that institute and have that institute be a place where, you know, disabled people, their parents, and other people can come to learn about not only hip hop, but about the history of Black disabled people, about the rich culture and the arts of disabled people from around the world. Um, we're going to have like different cores. Like the first one is going to be an art, um, a visual art studio because we, we've been hiring painters to do pieces for Kuda Pop. We've been doing that for two years. So I have tons and tons of paintings from, you know, Uganda to New York. So then I have a visual art studio, we're gonna have a music studio, we have the library, and we're gonna have what I call an international floor where there's gonna be computer screens all over the room. So each chapter can talk to each other. So the Brazil chapter can talk to people in New York. And so this Queer Pop Institute would also be a place for resources for other museums and other cultural spaces that have no clue about this. But I go to a lot of museums and they have nothing on disability, you know, the, the museum that opened up a couple of years ago in D.C., the African-American Museum, I went in there and they, you know, they had, you know, the history of Gary Tubman and all that stuff, but they didn't include her disability. That's interesting. This is the Smithsonian African-American Museum. So you feel like the history of Black disabled people is being erased from the general history of black yeah. people in America. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, I mean, that's very exciting and inspiring that you are going to create a physical location, the Crip Hop Institute. Yeah, I think I think I think that that's the next step of Crip Hop, you know, of myself. You know, I've been an activist, I've protested, I wrote books, you know, I've done I've done that and I keep on doing that. But I think now it's time to leave an institution. I, I guess just to wrap up, I mean, what else would you like people without disabilities to know about people with disabilities? Well, we're, we're everywhere, and we've been here since Moses. You know, the thing, the thing, the thing that I like to say is that you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we've been inundated with inclusionary policy, inclusionary movement. I know we we have to jump on the wagon and you know make it make it work for us, but people with disabilities have been here. Well Leroy Moore, thank you for your time and best of luck with um your studies at UCLA. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Shortly after Leroy and I spoke, the Disabled Student Union at UCLA staged a protest. 
It was a hybrid event with students, faculty, and staff joining in person on campus and on Zoom. They called on the university to make accommodations for students with disabilities who are uncomfortable or unable to attend in-person instruction during the COVID-19 pandemic. Leroy was a guest speaker at the protest, and here's a little of what he had to say. Hello, hello people. What's up? How you doing? So let's be honest. Let's be honest. Put the cards on the table. The education system has been outdated for a long, long time. I took my nephew to school and they were still learning about Christopher Columbus. <laughs> yeah, it's outdated. <laughs> and all the services are outdated. Mm -hmm. They've been this way for decades. And you know why? Because our legislators don't for, uh, enforce our laws. Yep. <laughs> The, the IDA hasn't been fully funded since it passed. Yeah. So once again, it, and, and now Joe Biden's like, oh, build back better. How can we build back? And you took the foundation away. Woo! How can we build back when the education system is outdated since Day one. I'm, I'm a graduate student. I'm 53 years old. And yeah, I've been protesting since the 80s. But it's not the 80s, it's not the 90s, it's not the 70s. It's 2021. And, you know, I, I give it out to my elders and my ancestors. But today we have to move the movement a lot further. So let's 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 put our foundation together and build a UCLA that's inclusive to everybody. Thank you. That was Leroy Moore speaking at a protest staged by the UCLA Disabled Student Union. Leroy is a writer, poet, community activist, a hip-hop and music lover, co-founder of Crip Hop Nation, author of Black Disabled Ancestors, and a graduate student at UCLA. Leroy will also join our 10 Questions event series on Monday, October 18th to discuss the question, how do we remember? He'll speak alongside two fellow panelists, the author, poet, and dancer Anurima Banerjee, and Angela Riley, an indigenous rights scholar and the Potawatomi Nation Supreme Court Chief Justice. It's free to attend, and you can RSVP at arts.ucla.edu slash 10 questions. You've been listening to Works in Progress from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. Thank you for listening, and be well. <laughs>